Welcome to another episode of the Loving Life After Loss podcast. I am your host, Marie Alessi. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, lovely people. This is Marie Alessi with yet another Up Spiral Grief interview. And today I've got the absolute pleasure to introduce you to a gentleman next to me, Robert Pardi from New York, living in Italy right now. Rob and I actually met through LinkedIn. It was one of those really divine timings, beautiful connection. And uh, we've been in touch ever since. And I asked Rob to come and share his story here today. So I'm really, really excited about this interview. Rob, would you do us the honor and introduce yourself to our audience, please? For sure. And I just want to say it is an absolute pleasure having gotten to know you. It's just Oh, fantastic. thank you. Likewise, so, thank you. Um, so you you basically said it right. Um, a New Yorker transplanted in Italy. <laughs> I'm an Italian American. So, yeah. ex investment banker, lived an amazing life with just a fantastic woman, mm-hmm. uh, who unfortunately passed away from metastatic breast cancer, mm-hmm. and that I used as an invitation to ask myself, sort of, what's next, and I moved mm-hmm. to Italy. I changed my wow. career. I'm now a life coach. I'm an author and mm-hmm. I host retreats here in Italy. Yeah. Incredible. I, I love this. And I'm going to go into obviously a little bit more detail about your story here. So thank you for the brief introduction. I, I really love it because, you know, I, I often talk about my, my life, my previous life, my life now, it really feels like when you go through an adversity like we both have that, there is this life before and a life after. Do you, do you have that too? I, I definitely have that. But what, what, what I'd say is I, I also have this, you know, I know that my previous life created this life because it created the perspective. Mm, yeah. It created the Absolutely. purpose. So there's not necessarily a defined, let's say, fracture between one world and the other world. Mm. There are these connections but I'm a completely different person. Yeah, I agree with that. And I love how you put that. It's really beautiful. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about your life before you moved to Italy, because you were in a completely, as you said, you were in a completely different profession as well. So can you give us a bit of a rundown? Uh, Because you and Desiree met really, really young, you know, and I, I also have to say that up front, I actually read your book. So we will talk about the book as well. And I love the story. And uh, you and I have also uh, discovered quite a, a lot of parallels in our lives, you know, and what I've seen, which is one of my most favorite parallels is that you and Desiree, you also were that couple, you know, like heavily in love and absolutely. And it's just, it is just so beautiful to see that in other people as well, because it is really something that is so rare. So I want to shine a light on that. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so I, 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 I'm so happy you read the book. And mm, we, 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 were, we were the mushy couple. We were, mm-hmm. we were you know, always touching and always mm-hmm. together. And it, it, it was just beautiful. And we, we did grow up together. She was 17. I was 19. So mm. I think Incredible. we were very malleable. Because mm-hmm. at that point, there's there's not a lot of, you know, um, 
flags in the sand. And mm. so it, it really, it was, a, it was an amazing experience all around, the, the whole experience. So I do need to, let's say, back all the way up to my childhood just for a quick mm -hmm. second. Because Absolutely. I grew Okay. I grew up sorry. Um, <laughs> as, as the, the son of an abusive alcoholic father. Mm -hmm. And so one that taught me a lot of life skills, uh, amazing life skills that I'm so blessed to have learned. Mm -hmm. But second, as a child, the only thing I could think was freedom, independence equaled money. So mm -hmm. that's why I was an investment banker for me. Wow. The only idea I could possibly have thought was, if I get money, I'll be free. I'll never be dependent. I can, you know, whatever, transform my life. So that's mm. the money focus. It wasn't like it was a passion or I thought about it since I was a child. Mm. When, when I met Desiree and she was just this free spirit, I mean, complete, completely different than anybody I've ever known, an Italian-American family, very traditional. The women had their roles, the men had their roles. Mm -hmm. and she was just not about that at all. And mm -hmm. she challenged me often about a lot of things. But with Des, I realized that my whole life before meeting her was motivated by anger. Mm -hmm. Anger because of the way I grew up and to get away. And anger is it is a fuel. It's not mm -hmm. sustainable. And with Des, you know, she, she really did break me open. She, she really did show me it's okay to be vulnerable. And, mm. um, she was, she was a very strong, strong person. We had this philosophy from a, the very beginning really. And it was sort of her philosophy. And so, you know, um, but I was part of it. So, her because she was um studying medicine she mm -hmm. be, she studied an md phd but she would say a relationship is like dna and it gets each person gets very far from the other person and the goal of the relationship is to get back to center to know that there's going to be these moments where maybe you're you're both far apart from each other because we grow mm -hmm. individually but we also need the relationship to grow. The relationship yeah. is an entity, right? And so we would get back to center. And it was just so different than the way I grew up. In fact, when I met mm -hmm. her, I was like, I don't really want a relationship. You know, I saw <laughs> I lived yeah. and I'm like, no, I go on, live on a deserted island. I'm fine. I'm going to be rich and, you know, have everything <laughs> I want and travel all over the world. And, and she's mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's really selfish. We're not going to do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, so then I guess that it's a perfect segue into sort of what happened, right? Mm. So we were at the height of our everything, truly. Mm. I just finished my MBA from Columbia, got an amazing job offer in the United Arab Emirates. She was doing her MD PhD. She was just about to finish her PhD and would have only two years left to finish the MD because the mm. way it works is two years of medical school, PhD, two years of medical school. Mm -hmm. And so took the job in the, the UAE and she said, you know what, as soon as I finish the PhD, I'll come and live with you and I'm going to mm -hmm. take a sabbatical. Let's experience the Middle East together. And mm -hmm. we were all about experience. Uh, th there's yeah. a beautiful Eleanor Roosevelt quote that talks about living life to the utmost. Mm -hmm. And 
that was our perspective from the very beginning. I mean, after we got married, we moved to Arizona, which was a complete financial disaster. But anyway, <laughs> we did it, you know. Um, and so we were always out there, like trying to taste life, which then mm -hmm. became chasing life. Um, and mm -hmm. not because of time, but as much as ensuring that we, we got everything out of every day. It, mm -hmm. We learned how to be present, moment focused. So when she came to the UAE, you have to do a medical screening to mm -hmm. get a visa. And that's when they found she had late stage breast cancer. And that changed our whole life. And yeah. eventually I wound up leaving my career but not because I needed to take care of her. She was mm. really self-sufficient up until mm -hmm. the last year, let's say. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to help her achieve her dreams. I wanted I wanted to be there for for all the moments. And the mm. unusual situation was because she understood medicine, she didn't want to know anything about her disease. Yeah. And she asked me to be the middle person. So mm -hmm. she didn't know how much it was spreading or anything like that. I mean, eventually she did because, you know, her body yeah. reflected it. Yeah. Um, so it's funny. I wound up becoming her life coach without actually realizing that's what I was yeah. doing. And I also realized that my definition of purpose, because we make purpose very, very big and purpose does not mm -hmm. have to be big at all. We don't have to go be at a Greta Thunberg or save the dolphins. You know, purpose is really expressing. I love that you say that. Yeah. And so I realized that for me, purpose is when passion comes in alignment with values and you want to give the results away. Everything I, I was doing was to give to Desiree. And mm. that's what made the situation not dire, but truly yeah. joyful. And yeah. you, you know, in the book, what we, what we talk about, or the book is an example of understanding that adversity, in this case, cancer, did not have to paint. It wasn't the, the dominant color in the painting of our life. Mm. It was an accent color to highlight joy. Yeah. And We've talked about that before. Yeah. And I love this so much, this analogy, because really, it, it, yeah, it, it so describes it. And I'm sitting here with this huge grin on my face because I've read the book, because I know the story, you know, and I, I just, you know, one thing that I really want to point out, although I'm, I'm jumping backwards a little bit now, but I love this so much. Like probably it's the, the women's perspective here, but I, I do need to point it out because my main audience is women. Um, that moment where you describe how you saved every dollar you had for the ring that you gave her to propose. Oh, my God, I had to point that out. I was like, oh, I'm melting. This is so sweet. You know, I really, really love that part. And, you know, to go from that and you two, like in this book, it became so apparent to me that you two were really so um, intertwined, intertwined, you know, you were so uh, infused into each other's lives, into each other's happiness. You were so supportive of each other, which is really beautiful. And to come to the point where you, you're like, I didn't have to take care of her, but I wanted to be there for every moment. I wanted to experience life with her. I wanted to experience all of that with her. That is so beautiful because I, to me, that is the essence of a relationship. That's what a relationship should be about, you know, to the whole in sickness and in health. We say that so loosely, actually, in, in most of the vows. We, uh, I shouldn't say that because Rob and I have very different vows, but, you know, it's like in the in those standard vows, there's this, that through sickness and health. And we often say that very loosely because we don't think about 
how bad it can get if that is the case, you know. And then you both went through the thickness of it for quite a few years. How did you deal with that as your new norm in the relationship? That's that's a great question. So it it, it was 11 years. And mm. honestly, to tell you that the new norm at the beginning, I'd say in a way it was a little similar to the way I grew up. You know, there was this mm -hmm. battle against something though we never really liked to use the word battle it was more it, mm. it was a journey like for des she's like yeah. I, I don't want to be the battler or the warrior i am living my life while cancer is happening mm. that's it and cancer is yeah, the small it. part of this and mm -hmm. so the accent you know, her strength as well taught me a lot but the new norm really was understanding and and this is what's what's so amazing the, the the gifts that came out of this were surrender understanding i i couldn't save her and so i was wasting my time and energy and everything really with that thought of you know being trying to be the superman the idea of hope i realized that we got it all wrong we shouldn't be hoping for a beautiful future or to some cure it's hope for the best day because yeah. life is made up of a series of days and we don't know which is the last one. So mm. bring hope to the present moment. Right and yeah. it were, it was that, that really that once I always say there's two, you can study something, you can learn something and you can forget it, mm. or you can put it into practice, understand it, experience it. And you can never not understand something that you mm -hmm. understand. Yeah. So by my stepping into surrender, the present moment, all of that, the value of the new, the new norm was so huge mm -hmm. that I just, it just, you know, I assimilated it. I absorbed it immediately. Yeah. And the idea of the cancer spreading, you know, that was something that when I first started hearing that news, I was like, you know, I, I, this is impossible, you know, like, how, yeah. how do I, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with this? How do I deal with this? But when I realized that I was giving her these ordinary moments to giggle, to play with the dog, to smell flowers, mm -hmm. I realized the value in just saying, okay, it's spreading. We're dealing with it. Put it aside mm -hmm. because that Look at her giggle. She watched Friends like a million times. Every, <laughs> I, I could probably recite the episodes at this point. Um, and she'd giggle every time. And, mm -hmm. you know, she would have our little dog, Duncan, and she'd be like, Duncan, you know, look what Joey's doing. Duncan. And, I thought he had Duncan. dollars. Oh, so dollars was the dog when we were, we were married. At the end of okay. her life, uh, mm -hmm. we had Duncan. Okay. And so uh and it was a little tiny um yorkie and mm -hmm. i'm a big high um highlander fan yeah and so uh duncan mcleod you know so <laughs> he was a little duncan mcleod okay and <laughs> so that's why the new norm you know it comes from the economics background as well right like mm -hmm. opportunity costs sunk cost all of these things the value in living the new norm far exceeded the old norm yeah. and it was a no-brainer just to step into it so it was yeah. the, i understood the trade-offs yeah that's beautiful i love 
the level of consciousness that you went through with that. And I also love the trust that she had in you to rely on your judgment and on your ability to know how and when to relay information back to her because you were the translator between the doctors and her and she didn't want to have to deal with them directly, which I really salute her for that decision. It's not an easy decision, I believe, but it's a really beautiful decision and one that reflects the enormous trust she had in you. And that is really beautiful. She literally put her life in your hands in, in that. And that to me is, is amazing. It's really beautiful. Um, I also know that uh, Desiree went and saw Oprah. She was on stage with Oprah. And yeah. thank you for sharing that video with me. I did watch it and I was absolutely amazed. It was so beautiful to see you in the audience with all your emotion and your being so freaking proud of her for being there. Um, how did that come about? So, so <laughs> she was a big fan of Oprah and mm-hmm. she's, you know, saw something and she's like, wow, Oprah's doing a show um, about graduating against the odds. She goes, it's, mm-hmm. it's, I would love to be on it, but it's for high school mm-hmm. students. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, well, I got to make this happen. I don't know how mm-hmm. I'm going to make this happen, but yeah. I'm going to make this happen. And I contacted <laughs> everybody I knew. I contacted, contact Bob, sent emails. And then, yeah, that it just, they, they responded. I spoke with them, loved the story. Mm-hmm. And so she was the outlier because it was mm-hmm. supposed to be just high school students. Yeah. And um, interestingly enough, as, as you know, in the book, they wanted to reveal her medical history. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, we want to be on your show. You want us to be on your show. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. My wife has coping mechanisms. She's mm-hmm. decided to approach her disease journey in a specific way. Mm-hmm. And we can't have that publicized for publicity. Yeah. And so, yeah. wow. You know, They were so gracious. They were absolutely so gracious about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the story was more about a love story than necessarily Mm -hmm. her journey with with cancer. But she did talk about how, and she truly did believe this, that it was a gift. And that's why Mm -hmm. she became the founding director of palliative care at New York Hospital Mm -hmm. with metastatic breast cancer. Because she realized that, you know, palliative care is also misunderstood, but she learned about coping mechanisms and false hope and patient choice and not being a victim to a system Mm -hmm. that you know you have to in a way be able to maintain as a woman breast cancer already you've lost so much of your identity yeah and then if you're not able to vocalize i want to live a certain way while we're doing this you've yeah. lost so much yeah. and so she went around the country actually speaking about that and, and mm-hmm. so forth and that's why she wound up on the front page of the new york times after she passed away yeah. they did sensation sensationalize the story which was fine mm-hmm. they told me they were going to mm-hmm. and that was for me she always said to me i want people to learn from my journey yeah. and so i was like all right they sensationalize it then more people are going to be interested in it. You don't show up on the front page of the New York Times just randomly, right? So the story 
tugged at a lot of different strings. Mm. And I, I think that was the, the best thing because people started talking about, well, yeah. patient choice. I think it's, it's incredible because like kudos to uh, Desiree here, like to make the decision because I can only imagine how tempting that would be. Um, and then to say no to Oprah, you know, which is incredible. Like who's got that story to tell? I said no to Oprah, you know, she wanted to run my story and I said no. But her reasons were so beautiful and I, I it fully makes sense. And I just want to say kudos to her for sticking to that and not getting tempted by, you know, it would be so nice to to be on there. It, it is a very tempting offer, but also for them to graciously accept that it's, it's really beautiful. So I would like to... Um, you know, go through that part of um, when Desiree passed, you were there with her, is that right? She was actually laying on my side. Mm. Can you share a little bit about that? Because this sure. is so, not many people have that opportunity to be with their loved ones when they pass. And I honestly think that must be such an incredible blessing to to be there. In those final moments yeah I, I i truly do believe that that it is it is a blessing um when you when you realize it's the other person's moment if you don't bring yourself into it because if you bring yourself into it, it it's probably the, the most excruciating thing you can feel and i yeah. after we spoke the first time i couldn't imagine like I can talk a lot about grief and and recovery and so forth because of my perspective i couldn't imagine mm -hmm having experienced what you experienced. Mm -hmm. So to, to me, there was so much value in that. Now, you know, Desiree, even though she trusted me, she outlined everything. Mm -hmm. Like she did manage her, her care 100%. And then she said, you facilitate this. So she knew mm -hmm. what quality of life meant. She knew, she explained to me the difference between extending life and extending death. And so when she was in the hospital for the last time, she just turned to me and she said, Robert, I'm tired. And I said, okay, baby, rest. And I knew she was asking me to transition care at that point to comfort. Yeah. And I went and I spoke to the doctors and I came back and she, I thought had went to sleep, but she fell into a coma after mm -hmm. saying, Robert, I need you to do this. Mm -hmm. That was it. And th that was our last conversation. So then, you know, we transitioned to, to comfort care and I'd sit in the bed with her every day. And even though, you know, she was unconscious and so forth, like rubbing her hair. And so she was laying on my side and her best friend, which was also the doctor managing the case mm. was in the room with us. And her name is Lauren and Lauren and I were talking and we laughed about something. Now, this is what's so incredible because I think Desiree was just waiting for that moment that she could let go because she knew I could find that joy. And we laughed. And all of a sudden, Desiree, you know, her body, because I don't think she was actually there anymore, but her body, yeah. um, she took that big, gurgly last breath. Yeah. And that was it the moment after I laughed. It, it was yeah. absolutely incredible. Now, because I understood the difference between extending life and extending death, mm -hmm. and because I did 
a few things after she passed away that are somewhat abnormal or maybe not abnormal, but they're definitely not a Catholic religion, even though I don't practice my religion. Um, mm -hmm. I asked the hospital if I could bathe her body before they put her in, in the bag. And um, when I, she was only in the hospital for maybe two weeks. Mm -hmm. When I turned her over, her back was full of bed sores. And I realized how quickly her body was deteriorating. So it was the moment. I, mm -hmm. I was very okay with the understanding of impermanence. And there, there are moments for all of us, we don't know what that's going to be. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just a natural progression um, in her case, because it's, it was a disease that was not able to be controlled. Yeah. Um, I also, for whatever reason, asked the funeral home if I could put her coffin in the furnace and I can turn on the, the flame. Mm -hmm. And in a way it was because I needed a journey with her up until the very end. And she was yeah. very specific about even that. She said, Robert, mm -hmm. if the day ever comes, I want you to put our pictures, my diplomas, the things that were important to me, I want you to put them in the casket with me because I don't want you to carry them around wow. for the rest of your life. I don't want them to be in a basement somewhere and you feeling maybe guilty about it. Mm -hmm. These were my achievements. Incredible. And so I'm blessed that you were part of it, but send them with me. And, and I did. It, it, was, it was her request. Like sometimes I, I think now I wish I had I'm more pictures, but blown away. Like seriously, I'm blown away by the way she thought about this. This is because you know it, here we are. We've been talking so much about the parallels and and what we have experienced. Yet this is a complete polar opposite. You know, you have the time to prepare. You have the time to talk. Right. I never had that with Rob. You know, it was that he was unplugged from our lives and he was gone. There was this this split second, and. Um, and I am sitting here with diplomas and with, you know, memories and pictures that I don't know what to do with them. You know, with a lot of them I knew, but with a lot, you know, there's still a lot that I really don't know what to do. So for me, this is so, it is a gift to me, if I may say so, to hear um, that she did think this through, that she actually thought ahead with so much love for you to not have to make the decision, you know, to take this away from you, that she made the decision. This, this is, oh, it really touches me. Thank you so much for sharing. I think this is really beautiful. Well, it's, it's, it's my pleasure. And when I do work with people that are in situations like you, there is that point where, you know, have a discussion with the person that's passed away. Mm -hmm what would they advise you to do with these things yeah because to a certain extent a, a lot of what desiree wanted to help me avoid which i've seen a lot of people actually feel in these moments is there's sort of guilt of mm -hmm. getting rid of those things because it feels as if you're saying okay i need you out of my life and that's not true mm -hmm. at all but we've we've connected so much personal emotion to that. Mm -hmm. um, the, the second thing as well about, let's say, these things and the diploma on the wall, it's a reminder, it's part of your identity. You remember mm -hmm. hanging it, you remember being there for the achievement maybe. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, that is a piece of your identity 
that you think you're losing by getting rid of it. But mm. that identity, what I say all the time is, Desiree is a beautiful scar on my heart. I mm. mean, a beautiful, glowing. I love it. I can never lose that. Mm. It's not in the objects. It's yeah. in this energetic, emotional connection that we will always have. I and really agree with that. It's beautiful that you say that because I, I never had this feeling of guilt. I was never worried about uh, what you just mentioned, but I do understand that a lot of people do. A lot of people have that thought. For me, it's more that um, if I get rid of that now, because we have two boys, you know, do they maybe want to hold on to that later on? So it's more a bit of a on hold story in my case, because when the boys are older, I want them to be involved in that decision because I just tonight before I came live here with you, I was standing upstairs at a cupboard and um, Jed took out a few, um, you know, Rob's got this little pile of old driver's license and he went through the photos. He's like, oh, my God, what's that, Dad? Oh, my God, he looks savage there. And he looks like really – it's like, does it sound weird if I say he looks really good there? I was like, no, he's your dad. You're allowed to say he looks really good there. It's so beautiful. And, you know, things like that, I think um, – I'm glad I didn't chuck that out. I'm glad I kept this because, yes, there is, you know, his driver's license. What do I do with that? But I think there are some of the things that might be really beautiful memories for the boys that I held on to for now. It's not even so much that – well, I do not know what to do with it now, but it's not for the guilt. It's more for the, I want the boys to be involved in that decision one day when they are old enough because they were so young when Rob died that they were not at that age where they could make decisions like that. And that's why, yeah, but yeah, it's amazing. I'm just blown away that she made that decision and that she actually thought of those things. It's it's really beautiful. Yeah, we, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please, you go. No, I was just going to say, we, we never, it was interesting because we never talked about death, let's say, mm -hmm. you know, but, or approaching death, but it was always, you know, if this ever happens, Robert, mm -hmm. you know, th these types of things. And then it wasn't to go into a conversation deeper, which was interesting with, with Desiree because, um, and this is, this is part of her strength, right? But it was also knowing her, mm -hmm. it was like, she, she needed to give the instructions and then that's it. Let's go back to a joyful life. And she was mm -hmm. able to just say, okay, that's out. Let, let's, yeah. you know, let's Love play, um, you know, or we play board games. You know, we, mm -hmm. we became more like children um, mm -hmm. as she approached the end of her life. And I think part of the whole journey for me, and that's what also helped me move forward, is in the process of understanding impermanence and her passing and she was getting you know more ill was really what's necessary yeah. we carry a lot of unnecessary through mm. our lives and an illness really does shine a light on all of that so part of yeah. when i rebuilt my life there was less the worry of what will people think or the fear of failure or all of these other things, because it was more, what is life? Right. And, yeah. and I learned that because of the way the situation happened with me. My mom lost my father uh, to a heart attack. You know, it was just instantaneous. Mm -hmm. Now he died much, not much older. He was 59. Desiree was 41 when she passed away. Mm -hmm. But my mom plays the card of he was taken 
too soon. Mm. So I, there's two things in that, right? I would say, if you want to play the numbers game, I win because Desiree was 41. So yeah. let's stop with the 41 and the 59, right? Um, mm. But it's the word taken. Mm-hmm. And that's, there's a lot of work to be done in the, yeah. from the survivor to walk away from the idea of taken. Yeah, I love it. Because- Thank you so much for bringing that up. Thank you. Like, I believe even the the word survivor although you know we we put such right. a negative spin on the word survivor we put fight into that we put uh you know oh, so much despair and heaviness into that but it's it really is it always comes back to what meaning do we give that word because it's just a word it means that you survived your wife and and that's just a fact you know it comes back to right. being a factual uh term the survivor yet we put so much negativity on it and i agree with you there is so much work to be done in the space of how we use language around death around grief around surviving around uh even the term widow or widower you know i i look at myself and i don't i don't feel like i look like the typical widow when people think of the word widow they think usually of an old person wearing black and her life is over and i i certainly don't feel like that but i would love to hear from your perspective because um you know you were both very young i mean rob and i were 45 you were uh 41 and um you know, a couple of years older, we don't need to go there. But it was just that um, you were young when Desiree passed. And obviously, your mindset around dying, around passing, around illness, and around um, how you deal with the situation as a couple, the before, during, and after, you had that time. So you had this time of transitioning together and then there was you. Yeah. What did you do after that? After Desiree transitioned, um, you eventually moved to Italy. Did that happen before or after? So that 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 happened after. Mm-hmm. So I'll let the you journey tell after she. No, no, no. That's okay. The, the, the journey that that happened, right? Um, it, I became very aware after she mm-hmm. passed away that. I lost my identity. I lost my purpose. Mm-hmm. It was clear as day because I wound up being her support system. Mm-hmm. I wound up living her disease to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. I wound up making decisions that if we were going to um, go out with friends, they were going to be her friends because I knew yeah. time was running out. And I, I lost friends and all of that. And well, they weren't really friends if they couldn't support that. Right. So, um, but so after that, there was this whole, this, this big hole. Um, And I say that loss is the lack of self. You lose your identity and security. The world seems unfit, unsafe. But I also believed wholeheartedly I would be the person that dies soon after their spouse dies. I just, the, 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 the feeling of lack of purpose and therefore lack of life force was so strong that for a little while, I was very reckless. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, not really paying attention to building a career or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Now, Desiree did not have life insurance. Um, and it's not because of the medical system in the United States, but it was because back then it was very hard to even find like a mushroom supplement or organic food. So I had a tremendous amount of debt 
So the little child in me said, go back to finance, make the money, make the money, pay off the debt. And so I went back to Dubai mm -hmm. and I felt totally out of sync. I couldn't yeah. get my bearings. And then my business partner who without him, he's in the book, you know, Khalid, um, mm -hmm. without his support, I mean, he, he loved my wife and he's like a brother to me more than he was a business partner. We're mm. amazing friends. Uh, but he said to me when I was in Dubai, he's like, look, I, I need you to play the part. So I want to get you a Rolex. And I basically said, no, come on, that's, that's ridiculous. He's like, no, you really, you know, you meet people, you need to have a Rolex. This is, this is mm -hmm. Dubai. It's all true, by the way, it's all appearances. Yeah. So, um, I said, you know what? No, I'll, I'll buy it. No, I'll make the investment in this. Mm -hmm. But it was just habitual, right? And yeah. I joke all the time. I put that Rolex on. I looked at it and it was like a bad tattoo. I was just like, this is not me. Yeah. And that opened up, well, who, who am I? Mm -hmm. I? I didn't ask that question. And mm -hmm. so the process to Italy was I started asking myself questions. I've always been a journaler and mm -hmm. since when I was a kid, I journaled, but not in the same fashion I do now. And one of my most favorite books, not from a religious point of view, but from the, the, the way it was done is conversations with God. Mm -hmm. And I realized what he was doing is he was having a conversation with his, let's say higher self with mm -hmm. that, that intuition we all have yeah. inside of us. And so I started journaling like that and asking mm -hmm. myself questions. And I got to a point where I realized, wait a minute, I have been living a story my whole life and going forward will also be a story. It's the narrative I'm giving everything. And I was blessed. I, I, I say I'm, I was blessed for having my father. That's the narrative I've given him because I see the strength that came from that. Yeah. I was blessed for having loved Desiree. So I asked myself, okay, so in this story, if I'm writing this story, what's a dream I want to look back on? And this is the tool that I use with all the people I work with because loss is this big. It's a big hole. Mm -hmm. And the only way to fill that hole is with small little things. You're never going to find an exact fit, but you could put those pebbles yeah. in and those pebbles oh, come from it. I love it so much. Yeah. And you know, because you, you talk about, you know, stepping into happiness. I stepped mm -hmm. into daydreaming. I stepped into the wonder of life. I stepped into being that child mm. with the curiosity. You know, if you look at children at a funeral, they'll maybe go and see grandma in the casket and they'll look and they'll sort of be sad. And then if a few children are together at a young age, they'll start joking with each other. Maybe they'll hide behind a, a plant in the room and they'll start mm. to play. Yeah. Because they're still connected to a lot of this other stuff that we, as you talked about language, we put a lot of weight on it. Mm. And so as I started to daydream, Italy kept coming up because I had always wanted to live in Italy since I was a kid. And I asked myself, not about failure. I asked myself, what if I could pull it off? Mm. Because at the end of the day, having seen what happened with, to Desiree, like you saw with Rob, mm. how do we really know what failure really is? Because we don't know what our last day is. So the story will never play out. 
to its infinite variation. Mm. So I said, you know what, what I want to do, my new identity will be possibility in action. My new identity will be the explorer of my life, will be the adventurer, will be the scientist to try things Mm -hmm. out. And so I left my job in Dubai and my business partner was like, are you crazy? You don't know anyone in Italy. You don't speak the language. You don't have a job and you don't have a place to stay. And you just paid off your debt. You have, you have no money. And I'm like, I'll figure it out. That's what I want. I want the excitement of attempting. And I showed up in Italy with two suitcases, taught English for $8 an hour. And I asked myself, so I have an acronym for grief. Um, and I know you have these things as well. So I realized for me, as I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and the key word there is to walk through at your own pace, but you're not supposed to sit down, light a fire and roast marshmallows. No, you got to keep moving through, right? So grief, what I realized I needed to work through was guilt, rumination, understanding impermanence, dismantling my expectations of what my life should have been and confront fear. And so here I am, I'm in Italy. I asked myself, well, okay, so my expectations were a certain way. They're not there anymore. What is it I miss about the Robert that doesn't exist anymore, the Robert Mm -hmm. with Desiree? And I realized what I missed was being that support system. And I was like, that's when I realized I was a life coach. Mm -hmm. And I said, all right, so here I am in Italy. And you know what? I don't speak the language. I need a new career. I'm very interested in life coaching. I'm going to go to life coaching school in Italian and I'm going to force myself to learn Italian. And I'm just going to see how far I could push myself into living this life that I still have. And that's how I wound up in Italy. And now I live in the same town a great grandfather came from. I walked the streets that he left in 1903. Oh, I love it. Uh, it's so incredible. You know, like it's, it's so funny because I'm sitting here, I'm listening to you and I'm like, oh my God, this is so, it, I, I just am so, I don't know. I'm just so into this story because we had so many conversations about it. And, you know, one of my uh, biggest dreams was always to, to live in Italy for, you know, half a year or so with the boys and, and here you are. And, and uh, this is really, we sparked it for me where you're like, why don't you do it? I'm like, yeah, I don't know why I haven't done it yet. You know, there's this whole uh, resistance from the boys. I get that because for them, they have learned that change is unfortunately not something very positive. So I have yet to rewrite that story with them. And I want to do that. You know, I'm not saying that's going to happen through living in Italy, but I do want to rewrite the story for them. That change can be something really beautiful and positive and uh I need to be ready for that. But I just so love it that I look at your life and you have done exactly that. You know, I mean, I've done it in my way that I moved from Austria to Australia because I always said, that's where I want to live. That's where I want to live. This is my home. And I could not explain it to anyone because I had never been here. I'd never been to Australia. And yet it felt like this is where I need to live, not just go and visit. This is where I need to live. So I just pack up my stuff and, and moved here. You know, I didn't know anyone. I didn't, I mean, it was just by the time I moved here, I did know quite a few people because I kept coming and going till I finally found her way to legally stay in Australia. But it's just, it is just so beautiful listening to your story. And it's so encouraging because none of us know what our expiration date is. You know, none of us know when our last day is. But I sure, um, 
I surely want to make um, my time here on earth just an adventure. You know, I just really, I just, I just want people to see that and feel that and experience that. And this is why I'm so grateful that you're having such a raw and open and honest conversation with me about this here on camera, because this is really something that not enough people talk about. These really raw moments where you know, where you know your days are counted. Mm -hmm. And then what now? You know, this whole who am I after loss? This is a huge question that we have um, that we have addressed in Loving Life After Loss a lot of times. You know, the who am I after loss? And in this question, there is so much opportunity. It's like that blank canvas, you know, that you're like, you know, I've talked a lot about the colors. What color do you choose to paint that blank canvas? What do you use as accent colors? What do you use as your primary color? You know, mine would definitely be orange, no questions asked. But it's just that whole, you know, what do you do with your life? And you have painted such a beautiful picture with what is possible a possibility in action. You really, truly live that. And I really love that. So I know we're probably way past time because I got so carried away with your story and I don't even mind what time it is by now. But what I would like to do before we finish our interview here is um, we will definitely share links how people can get in touch with you. I haven't asked you if you're okay with that. I'm just going to do it anyway. Um, <laughs> I know that you've got a retreat coming up and yes. maybe some people will be watching this from Europe. Do you actually still have a couple of spots available if people are interested in coming along? So the November I'm one is putting you on the spot here. <laughs> no, 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 not, not, not at all. And, and I'm so glad you brought it up because I'm, I'm just, I'm so thrilled to be offering it like that. I got mm. to that point. So yeah. the November one is full. Uh, okay. But I just announced dates for April, September, mm -hmm. and next November. So Perfect. there's like one one or two people that have signed up in each, but there's still availability mm -hmm. for sure. Give us a bit of a quick uh, sneak peek. What's to to be expected? Who is this for the retreat? So if people are okay, listening so to this and go like, this, I need to come this along. This retreat is for anyone that feels there's something else to be had from life. Yeah. It, it's people that want to sort of experience possibility in action. And yeah. so to give you an example, I, I'm a big believer in the experience of something rather than the intellectual stimulation of something. So we are going to go to Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to go to a castle, for example, one of the days we're going to go to a castle uh, in Puglia, mm -hmm. where supposedly the, the Holy Grail was housed for a while. Mm. And so it's a castle, right? Yeah. And the Holy Grail was so important. Well, then the questions around that, after having been there, are, what's your Holy Grail? Mm. Have you created boundaries to protect it? Mm. Are you valuing your Holy Grail? Are you putting it in, into use or are you hiding it away? So it's to start to chip away at some of these things in a different way to just bring up these questions of people to break out of habitual thinking. Because I, I truly believe, and Desiree and I were example of this for sure. Um, mm -hmm. I was as well as, as a child, but it was more based on anger. Um, the only true way to, in my opinion, to live a fulfilling life is to live it intentionally. Mm -hmm. 
And that's what the whole retreat is about. Awesome. I absolutely love it. Um, I'm going to put your little ad disclaimer in here. For more information, please go to robertpardi.com, which is P-A-R-D-I. Okay. We will be posting the links in the comments below, so don't worry if you did not take note of that. There will be ways how you can connect with Rob and um, have a look at a few more details about the retreat. And before we go, Rob, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing like really straight from your heart and the wars and most direct interview. I just really, really love it when those conversations happen. I love our connection. I love that we have shared this time here. And before we conclude, is there anything, any last words that you would like to share before we go? First of all, let me say this, this was an amazing pleasure and I love your work and what you do and your perspective. And I'm, I'm just looking so forward to, to building even, you know, a, a bigger friendship and getting to know, to Thank know you, you more. So, yeah. um, what, what I would say is it's, it's one of my, I have so many quotes that, that I love. Um, but what I would say in this case and to remind everyone of is we only live in extraordinary life when we value the ordinary moments. Oh, I love this. Thank you so much. You are. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for your time. And as I said, we'll be sharing the links how you can connect with Rob in the comments below. Please do leave us a comment. What was your most favorite takeaway? I'd really love to know that. And anybody watching this on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button and put on the notification bell. So much love to all of you. Thank you, Rob. And this is Rob and Marie signing off. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed the show and you would like to find out more about loving life after loss, please visit mariealessi.com. I shall see you next week. Bye.